But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you call, uh, you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and, he, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we step into your presence right now just to humble ourselves before you and say, Lord, what an amazing story. What an amazing conversion experience that Saul had. But Lord, ours is no less dramatic. Ours is no less wonderful. For Lord, without you, we would be in hell. If we got what we deserved, that's where we'd be right now. You wouldn't have even waited for judgment, but you delayed judgment in order you gave us the opportunity to hear and to believe and receive uh, the message that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Lord. And if we bow in humility before him and surrender all things, that you come in and save us. And as we repent and turn from our own sin and turn to you, Lord, you, you take away all that is sinful in us and you give us all of heaven. And we are grateful, Lord. We are thankful. May we never take this for granted. And may we understand and see the wonder and the might and the power of who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. It's a story, and if you've been in church any time at all, you've probably become familiar with this story. Saul, of course, was a persecutor of Christians. Um, and, and it's kind of interesting. I don't know if you caught that in the text. But they weren't called Christians yet. That, that, that wasn't even their name. They're called followers of the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so back in that day, they were known as disciples of the way or disciples of Jesus or followers of the way. I, I love those, those titles even better than Christian. Not because Christian's a bad title, it's a great title. But, but a lot of people say they're Christian who are not. But are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, here's something I want you to catch today, and that's this. When Jesus comes in, he changes everything. He changes everything. You know, I, I, I see people that, that claim that they know Christ, and yet nothing in their life seems to have changed. My, my best friend, he had a, his son uh, was just a disobedient child. And by child, I mean from birth. I mean, from, from, he was only five. And my, my friend said, I get tired of spanking him. I mean, it just like all the time, he needs a spanking just constantly. It's like he won't learn. Violence won't teach him anything. It's just crazy, you know. Some kids only respond to violence. Y'all know that, right? Y'all are all quiet. He wasn't mean to him. He didn't abuse him, but he just had to. That little boy was only six years old when he came to know Christ. And he told me, he said, it was like night and day. All of a sudden, he was obedient. He was, every, his personality changed. Everything changed because Jesus came in. You say, well, he's only six. How? I knew the boy. I mean, I'm telling you. Well, and by the way, that boy's planning a church in Boston today. He's there today preaching in Boston, planning and starting a church there. So everything worked out. Don't get all, you know, messed up in your head about that. Uh, 
But I just believe when Jesus comes in, he changes everything. Everything's brand new. And if it's not, not that you, not that everything, like, has to be different in the way of, oh, my fortunes change, but it's something changing here. I think if the creator of the universe came and invaded your body and started living in you, something would have to give, right? Something would have to change because there's not room for you and him in there. And so the Bible says he kills us and raises us a new creature in Christ, right? When he comes, the old has passed away and all things become new. And there is a time and a place in all of our lives where we come to that point where we realize that Christ wants us to follow him. And when we decide to be a Christ follower instead of a self follower, which is really a Satan follower, we're, we're fulfilling our own desire, same sin that, that Satan had. Instead of serving God, he decided to try to be God. And that's how, how it is. I heard when a celebrity uh, one time got saved and she was married to a very famous man, but he was a very egotistical man. And right after she became a Christian, he divorced her. And somebody said, well, she found God and he found out it wasn't him, so he divorced her. He thought he was God. And a lot of us, we, we don't consciously say that, but in reality, we go after our own way instead of what do you want, God? What, what are you calling us? And Paul was one of those guys. We, we, I'll call him Paul most of the time, even though in our passage, he's still Saul. But the first thing I see is, what a bad man. I mean, Saul is a bad dude. And I don't mean bad in the way I would use slang and say, oh, he's a bad dude. You know, like, meaning unbelievably great. I mean, bad as in wicked. He was a wicked, wicked man. If you gave him a modern name, he would be Osama bin Laden. His desire is to only kill Christians. He is a terrorist. Are y'all full of turkey? Or <laughs> I just I just didn't know you're with me. He is, he is. You don't want to be in the room with him. You would be afraid of him. He is after all that God wants us to be, especially as believers in Christ. And the Bible here in the first verse says, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples. And I notice that the Bible never tells us how many or who Saul killed. But later on, he said, he saved me who was a murderer. So I don't know if Saul ever laid his hand on anyone to kill them or just by his influence, he had a lot of people killed. But he saw himself as a murderer. If not, and not, if not literally, that he wanted them dead. And Jesus said, if you hate your brother in your heart, it's the same as killing him. And he obviously hated all Christians. And so... He's breathing out all these threats. He's still coming after them. And he got permission from the high priest uh, for letters in the synagogue at Damascus to find anybody. And there's that word. uh, Look at that. Belonging to the way. Men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's out hunting Christians to bring them back to Jerusalem, put them on trial, and kill them. And he he is Osama bin Laden 007. I don't know if you're into James Bond. You probably aren't. But those numbers, double O and then the number, uh, the double O is a code meaning he, he can kill anybody and he doesn't have to answer to anybody for it. As, as in, in the literal world, uh, that is what that designation means in the British special 
operators. The double zero means license to kill. In fact, that was named one of the books the dude wrote. So Paul is Osama bin Laden, double O, I'll say six, since he's doing the devil's work. He's got a license to kill and doesn't have to answer for it. And he's after them. That's a bad dude. Now, here's my question. You think you're a bad dude? Last church I was in, uh, it was predominantly African-American. It was in a, uh, not in the best part of town. And it uh, used to be the best part of town, but it had gone downhill. And a guy came into the church, and he was, a, he was a white guy. And he was raised rough, doing drugs, whole nine yards. And he was, but he kind of like enjoyed you knowing that. And he was telling the pastor he'd been stabbed and he had a scar and all this stuff. And the pastor told me, he said, I'm going to introduce him to brother so-and-so. He doesn't have a scar. He's got multiple gunshot wounds and scars. This guy had been a drug dealer in high school and all this stuff and gang fights and had been tore up and left for dead kind of thing. And he came to know Christ. And that guy, that deacon told me, he said, he went to his high school reunion while I was there. And he said, all these guys thought I'd be dead. And he said, they're all dying of heart attacks and all because they've been doing all. He said, I got saved. God delivered me. And whenever I see him, I saw him at the state convention last uh, two weeks ago. He walked up. He said, one day at a time. That's what he'd always say. I'm living Christ one day at a time. Listen, God can change a bad man. And you think you're bad, you ain't bad as you're not as bad as Saul hunting Christians bad. That's bad. If you need the definition of bad, that's bad, okay? And you think you're tough, you, you meet Saul, man. That's, that is a mean dude. But here's something even further for us. How many of you have a bad man in your life? It may be a son, a cousin, a relative, a friend, a schoolmate, workmate. And it doesn't have to be a man. I'm using the man generally, a bad person, a, a woman. And we're all bad people. I know that. Don't, don't get on me about that. Just stay with me in context here. Someone who is so far away from God, they can't see straight. And you've talked to them and you've prayed for them and you've witnessed to them and you're like, even God can't save them. That's a wrong thought, by the way. There is nobody outside the reach of God. And every once in a while... We hear about somebody that we think is out of the reach of God, and God does a miracle in their life to show us who's still God. He's in charge. He's God, and you're not. If you need to understand the Bible in five words, that's it. I'm God, and you're not. That's the Bible. And he doesn't think like we think. He doesn't do like we do. God is God, and he will do his will, and he can move anyone to the place where he wants them and, lead, and, and save them. And so, I want you to hear that today, because some of you may have given up on a relative. Some of you may have given up on someone you've been praying for and witnessing to. Don't do that. Don't give up on them. I mean, listen, sometimes we think someone's that way, and in the reality, down deep inside, they're scared. They need to know Christ. A bully is just a, a scared person that doesn't know what to do, and so he becomes gruff and mean and ugly to keep people away from him but in his heart he's desiring to know God and he doesn't even know that's what's in his heart but God puts that in don't ever give up break on through I I remember going back to a really old example I thought of about a million of them but one of the ones that I remember from childhood was when Nikki Cruz who was in a gang in New York got saved and 
David Wilkerson was a preacher in Pennsylvania, and he heard about these gangs in New York. And in, in desperation, he went to witness to them, and he kept witnessing over and over and over this gang member had killed people and all. And I don't know exactly how it happened. In the movie, it was very dramatized. I saw it as a kid where he was telling Nicky Cruz about Jesus, and Nicky grabs him by the shirt and opens a switchblade and puts it to his throat. He says, you say Jesus to me just one more time, I'll cut you into a million pieces. And he said, Nicky, you cut me into a million pieces, and every piece will still cry out, God loves you. Well, Nicky got saved and became a, a wonderful evangelist for the Lord. Nobody's out of the reach of God. Don't give up on him. Please don't give up on him. Don't give up. If you're that person, you ain't so bad. God's badder still. Y'all know we serve an awesome, terrible God, don't you? I mean, there's thunder in his footsteps and lightning in his fist. He's an awesome God. He can do anything. Amen. Well, that's the next point. What an awesome God. <laughs> what an awesome God. God shows up. I love this story. Here's Paul thinking he's all that and a bag of chips. And verse 3, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who is Saul persecuting? Well, on paper, he's persecuting the church. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? I, I said this this morning, just talking to some men, that I believe just where we live and who we are culturally in, in, in our church, in our spot in the world, in the church in general, but we take the church too lightly in America. We think of it as a place we go. We think of it... As a building, we think of it as something we do on Sundays. But the church is the body of Jesus Christ. And when the church is hurt, no matter who hurts it, you're hurting Christ. And he notices. And the Bible says in Revelation that he walks amongst the churches and he holds the pastors in his hand. That scares me. And it ought to make you think differently about the church. That we are his body. We are his bride. We sang it this morning. Like a bride waiting for her groom will be ready when he comes. Are you ready? Do you, will you say, Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus? We want him to come back. We want to see our groom. Can, I, I can't imagine having to go to war, but I can't imagine the women who wait. I grew up in a city, or, or near a city, Charleston, South Carolina, where they have iron structures outside of the upper stairs windows on the oldest houses. And those are called widow walks. So that those houses built revolution and the, and the war between the states. The women would come out and wait out there on those little balconies looking for their man to come home. And they were known as widow walks because many times they did not. Can you imagine the longing to see your husband? Your longing to, that you, maybe your fiance goes to war and you just can't wait for him to come back so that you can have the fullness of joy of marriage? That's supposed to be the church. That we ought to be crying out, even so, Jesus, come. And until he comes, we'll be your faithful bride doing your work here in the world. Well, I'm not sure how we got there from there, but God showed up. And he says that to 
to Paul. And God demands an accounting. Why are you persecuting me? He asks, why are you doing that? God demands us to answer him. And listen, you may not know it. You may not think about it. But there's coming a day when all flesh will stand before that God and give an account for what we've done. The Bible says the Christian will give an account for what we've done, whether good or bad. But our evil will be burned up. We will never be judged for salvation, but we will be judged by what we have done since we've known Christ. And the things that we did for ourselves, we did selfishly, the sin we committed will be burned away. It calls it chaff, like, like the chaff off a of wheat kernel, like... Like the extra wood, the things that does, doesn't contribute to the building, that's just burn-ups. Putting a big pile over there and burn. And we're rewarded for what's left. The gold, the silver, the precious jewels that can survive the fire. It'll be tried by fire. God demands an accounting. He demands an accounting of Saul. He says, why, why do you keep persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? <laughs> I've always found that it's, it's both telling and hilarious. Saul gets knocked on his keister by a blinding light, and he hears his voice say, Why are you persecuting me? And notice he says, Saul, Saul, twice. Remember in the Hebrew thinking, and Saul later in his testimony says, he heard the voice in Hebrew. When you say it once, you're supposed to be truthful, you know. When people say, well, I'll be honest with you. Well, were you lying before? Well, that's our way of saying, well, I don't lie. In the Hebrew... When you said it once, it should be true. If you said it twice, you're saying, I promise. I mean, that, that is the, I promise. That's when we say, I, I'm going to be honest with you. That's when you say it twice. You say it three times, it's perfection. Now, Saul wasn't perfect. He's perfect at being Saul. But he says, Saul, Saul. And in Saul's Hebrew mind, he's saying, yeah, I'm talking to you, man. I'm talking to you. You better pay attention to me. Why are you persecuting me? I got a feeling Paul felt like he got shook like a rag doll right at that moment. Like he'd been a squirrel caught in a terrier's mouth, you know, just... And his first question is, I got to sneak his suspicion who this is, but just so unclear, who are you? And notice how he ends it. Who are you? I don't know who you are, but whoever you are, you're the man. Whoever you are, you're the big cheese. You are the chief. You are God. Who are you? Why I see Saul had a bunch of doubts leading up to this. I'm convinced. Just looking at this psychologically, I don't have time to get into all that. But I, I told you, Saul's had all these events happening in his life, and he and instead of submitting, he gets angry and he starts striking out at the things that are challenging his worldview. And now God knocks him down, and he goes, "Okay, final question: Who are you?" I love that. And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Look at the tenderness that Christ identifies with us. You're killing me. Not you're killing my church. You're killing me. You're persecuting me. When our brothers and sisters go to their death around the world today because they follow Christ, Christ knows it. Christ feels it. He is being persecuted. And then he says, but get up and go in the city and you'll be told what to do. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to tell you what. The, here, here's what you get to do, Saul. There are no terms of surrender. You just surrender. 
My dad fought in World War II. He's a, he was a sailor on a on a, uh, a, a repair ship uh, when the ship got hit by torpedo or plane or whatever. He they would go on there and fix those ships. And uh, I, and my mom just or my sister just brought me this trunk from my mom. Uh, my mom passed away last summer. And anyway, in that trunk was my dad's uniforms and different things. And one of his blue cracker jacks. He had these dragons uh, from he was in China and Saipan and um, I forget the name of the other place and he had this big old decorative thing on the on the flap on the back uh, just kind of interesting to to see that but I always since my parents lived World War II they would tell me stories so I, I, I don't know a lot about it. I know a little bit and one of my favorite things about it is the president sitting on the deck is it's the Missouri I believe right Pete <laughs> when we, they surrendered. And the emperor of Japan, who was worshipped as a god before World War II, signs papers of total surrender, no conditions. And ever since I understood that, that's what it means to become a Christian. You don't pray a little prayer and get God so you don't go to hell. You totally surrender. Everything you have, everything you were, and everything you ever hoped to have or will be to God. And say, I give up. And that's what Jesus just did to Saul. Knocked him down and said, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Because whoever you are, you're Lord now. I'm Jesus. Now get up, go in the city. I'm going to show you what you're going to do. Saul got up and went in the city. He didn't go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What were you talking about? <laughs> no, just go. Go in the city and I'm going to send somebody to you. God only accepts total surrender because he's going to show who's in charge. God is not sitting there, some weak need, frivolous God, just looking upon his children like, oh, that poor little, I know he's misbehaving, but isn't he so sweet? No, he is a God, a, a holy God, who demands obedience from his children and it's an amazing thing well so we see this awesome God but we also see what an amazing mentor that God's sending beginning in uh, in verse 10 now there's a disciple of Damascus named Ananias and the Lord says in the vision I, I want you to catch a few things I've already read I want to reread it he says Ananias he goes here I am Lord I mean bam he it, Remember uh, uh, Samuel in the Old Testament? God had to call him three times before he could figure it out. Well, he's only five, so cut him a break. But God called him when he was five, and he's like, Samuel? And he runs into, and he, and he runs into uh, uh, Eli, and he goes, yes, uh, what did you need, Eli? And he goes, I didn't call you, boy. Go back to sleep. And goes back, Samuel? And he goes, Eli, yeah, what, what do you need, Eli? I didn't call you, boy. Go back to sleep. Samuel, he comes in, Eli, what, why do you keep calling my name? Oh, hold on there. That ain't me, that's God. Next time you hear it, say, here am I, Lord. What speak, your servant hears. Man, you come here and he calls Ananias and Ananias goes, here I am, Lord, what is it? What do you need? Immediate, man, I'm just ready to go. I am hot to go, Lord. What do you need? And Lord said, well, I want you to go down to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas. Look for a guy from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying, and he's seen in a vision. I'm going to send you to him. And I want you to go so that he can receive his sight. 
And Ananias, who was eager to go, said, okay, just got a question. (laughs) I heard about this dude. He wants to kill me and all of us. Are you sure? See, God doesn't fuss at Ananias for that. And he goes, oh, yeah, I'm sure. He says, go, for he is, in verse uh, 15, he is a chosen instrument of mine. Remember that bad guy we were talking about at the beginning? He may be a chosen instrument of God. You've got to quit looking at it with human eyes. Start looking at it with God's eyes. And he says, he's going to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And how would you like this to call to ministry? I'm going to show him why he's got to suffer for my name. Oh, <laughs> that, you know, most people are like, oh, I've got to call to ministry and I'm going to go to the world. I'm going to save the nations and God's going to use me and we're going to lead a million people to Jesus. It's going to be great. How would you like your call to be? Oh, by the way, you're going to suffer for the rest of your life. Come follow me. Saul gets it. He goes, okay. Ananias said, all right, I'll do it. And notice what it says. Here's the heart of Ananias. Uh, In verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house. He just got up and went. Okay, just wanted to check. I'm good. If you're good, I'm good. I wouldn't trust him, but if you trust him, that's on you. I'll go do what you asked me to do. But I love what, Anani- what it says about Ananias. He goes into the house. He just walks up to him, lays his hands on him, and he says, Brother Saul, receive your sight. No hesitation, no question. I don't care how bad you were yesterday. Today you're my brother. I was talking about this earlier, and I said, Mama had an ugly child, but he's still his brother. <laughs> Think about that, man. Here is... God wakes you up and says, I got this guy, he's down the street, and you need to go to this house, and, and his name's Osama bin Laden. I, I didn't use that for no reason. One question. <laughs> That's the guy who wants to kill all of us? Are you sure? Yeah. He's a chosen instrument of mine. I've, I've, I've changed him, and he's going to suffer for me, and you got to go tell him about it. Okay? And you walk in and say, Brother Osama. Could you do that? I would find that difficult. Just be honest with you. I know the dude's dead. He's, he's in hell now. And, uh, and he's, he's learned better, but it's too late. But I don't know if I could have done that if God had asked me to do that in life. I'm sure, I, I mean, I don't know what I'd done because obviously I don't have the grace to do it now because God didn't ask me to do it. I think if God asked me, I'd get the grace. But I want you to think about that. That person that you think is beyond help, are you willing to call him Brother? Are you willing to accept them and receive them in? And he, and, and there's something I kind of went over, but I, I want you to go back and look at this. Look at verse 10, back, just back up in verse 10. There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Later in Acts, it says the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Listen, you can't do anything for God until you become a disciple of his. The disciple is a follower of him. Someone who learns from him and does what he wants him to do. Ananias was not just some other guy, some other preacher. He is a disciple. And as a disciple, guess what he did for Saul? He discipled him. He told him, here's what God's telling you, telling me to tell you. This is what God wants of you. This is what's going to happen. Lays hands on him. Saul receives his sight. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, I thought only Peter brought the Holy Spirit. No, Peter brought it the first time. To the Jews, then the Samaritans. Next chapter to the Gentiles. 
And the Jews already received the Holy Spirit. Paul is a Jew. You don't have to have Peter to be baptized in the Holy Spirit now. Just a quick little point there in case uh, you were paying attention. And he accepts him as a brother. You say, well, preacher, that's great. I mean, that's a great story, but, you know, that kind of stuff doesn't happen today. I want you to watch this testimony. Hi, my name is Laura Glenn. Um, I've lived here in Stanton for a little over 20 years. Um, right now, it's going to be a little testimony that's like this big, but only it's going to be this big. I've never grown up in a Christian home. Nobody's ever said anything about Jesus or, or God. Um, my growing up was uh, abusive, uh, lots of lots of bad things, but a lot of good things. It wasn't all bad, but um, I've been molested, raped, um, belittled, anything you could think of that would happen to a person happened to me. I didn't like school. I didn't like to be around people. I always rebelled. Very bad, evil, treated people badly. Um, I was uh, in and out of psychiatric wards because my parents couldn't um, control me. But all the time, all this happened, I, it, I never really cried never really um, felt bad. Um, I started doing drugs and um, ended up getting pregnant. Um, the boy who got me pregnant, he married me. Seven years later, um, with two kids, we divorced because all it was was fighting. I didn't want to listen, I didn't care. Um, selfish person that I was. So the second marriage was lasted 20 years, but it was the longest 20 years, I'm sure, of his life. But um, again, the results were the same. We divorced. Then I remarried again. I thought, okay, this is going to be different. I'm going to be nicer, more calm. Um... <laughs> But it wasn't so. Trouble began, fighting. I left him several times, but I always went back. I was always the one to instigate. My tongue just wagged all over the world on him. I ended up leaving him. I stayed with my daughter. I'm still at my daughter's. Since that happened, my ex-husband, who I was married to for 20 years, had passed away, um, which I never thought about him being not here. That kind of made me start to think about what kind of person was I to him, to other people, to my children, to my 
siblings, um, parents. Um, I didn't really... didn't really understand the full extent of <laughs> the pain I caused on other people. The most thing that I thought about is, is um, myself dying and what would happen to me. Never thought about that, ever. <laughs> Except here recently, since he passed. My children, I've thought about it. You know, oh, don't, don't do that because uh, it's, it's going to go to hell. But never myself. It amazes me that I'm here. That I'm not dead or <laughs> in a crazy home, and I always say that to people. You know, I'm I'm here. The Lord kept me safe. He kept me whole. How do you get to the point where you know that that you're safe? That you know, it's just like my understanding, Mom, is you just asked. You tell them you're sorry, and ta-da! <laughs> That's our way of talking. But um, she said, why don't you, she invited me to Bible study with the women, and I said, oh, maybe. They are very, uh, how do you say, godly women? even though they say they're not perfect. In, in my eyes, I want to say they are, because they know more than me. They've gone their journey farther than me. Um, but I, I, you know, you got to be realistic. He opened my eyes to his love, his gift, his, his just mercy. Mercy, lots of mercy and um, forgiveness. We're studying Ruth and has said love. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and how Ruth is just she's well, she's an awesome woman to have this love for everybody. Even Naomi. <laughs> Where she's all like blah 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 blah. So that's when we're studying all that and I'm like, uh that's where it got me. Mm -hmm. it, my heart just broke. Naomi losing everybody. Uh, Ruth losing her husband. And then they had to go back to the where Naomi's from. And Naomi was like, well, and Ruth was so loving and taking care of her. And I'm not, I wasn't like that. <laughs> I was not like that. I was a horrible person. So, I mean, that's that's where the epiphany came in. I was like, uh, I cried. <laughs> um, I felt bad. The guilt just 
whereas the women were very um, understanding. Uh, um, one of them says, you're having an epiphany. I didn't know what that meant. So I asked Natalie, what's that mean? She told me, I was like, oh, okay. So since that day, <laughs> I have been just throwing myself into learning, being, <laughs> and moving towards God. Everything I've mumbled here. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I've, I've asked him to, said, you knew everything I did, and you still were there. If you don't know Laura, she's a member of our church. She came through the new members class where we explained the gospel. Two weeks ago, she asked a lady from her Sunday school class here, talked to her, and prayed to receive Christ. Last Sunday, she said, I need to be baptized. And uh, so when we tear down the set the next week, we'll baptize Laura here. One thing she said as we were interviewing her, we interviewed her just this past Monday. Uh, she, she was smiling, just beaming, and she said, this isn't me. I've never smiled in my life. God still does it, and he does it even at Calvary. Now, I hope that's one of thousands. I hope we will see more and more and more and more and more of just that. Okay. Well, some of y'all want to see it. Amen. Good. Yeah. So, what do we do with all this scripture and stuff today? First of all, just decide, don't give up on somebody that you've given up on. You know who it is. You know there's somebody who's like, oh, that guy will never change. He'll never be different. Well, maybe not to you, but to God, he can be. So, don't give up. You don't know what God is up to. So, pray and be a witness and and. and don't, don't give up. And just put them in God's hands. Don't try to talk them into it. Just put them in God's hands. And, and if they're close enough to you, tell them. Say, you know, I've tried to show you God, and, and obviously I'm not doing a very good job, so I've turned you over to Him. <laughs> so look out. Here it comes. God's going to reveal Himself to you. Number two, can you define your encounter with God? Paul tells his testimony two more times in the book of Acts. We see evidence where he's told a bunch of other people through his writings. And, 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 and he could always tell the same thing every time. If you ever watch a, some drama, a, a real-to-life cop drama or something, they always interview the, the suspect for hours on end. And that is to see if under stress they will tell the same story over and over and over. And the guy gets caught, it's the guy that breaks and tells a different story the second time. And the third time, the fourth time, it starts changing. Paul never changed his story. It's always the same. That shows that it's a real story, that it's true. And can you today say, I was lost, I met Christ, and this is what happened, and now that's affected the rest of my life. Can you name 
Can you describe and define your encounter with God where it became real? You heard her saying, that was, that was me, I think, off camera and went, huh. Because she was talking about the book of Ruth. And I never thought of it in the way she was saying it. Now, she, she's been saved a day, and I've been saved uh, 49 years. And I was learning from her. Don't think you're so smart that you can't learn every day. Amen? And I, wow, the Ruth, who everybody around her is miserable, and she's being sweet to everybody. She's loving everybody. Never saw it in those eyes. I saw it through her eyes in that, that day. And she could describe what happened to her. Paul could describe. Can you describe that? Thirdly, who helped you? Who mentored you? That's the word we use today. You say discipleship. You can just say taught. Who taught you the ways of God? Who encouraged you and helped you and, and showed you? And then, who could you show? If you don't ever tell anybody else, it ends with you. God did not save us for us to sit. He saved us to serve. And we serve when we serve other people. Not, not an institution, but when we serve people by helping them know more about Christ. And so... If you are saved, find somebody that you can encourage. And I promise you, they'll encourage you while you're encouraging them. That's not a one-way street. That's a two-way street. But who is it that helped you? You might thank them. I think I've said this before here. But, but find someone and start helping them to grow in Christ. I was talking about that with someone this week. And they were reminding me that it's often said that you need a Barnabas, an encourager. You need a Paul, somebody can teach you uh, the ways of God. You need someone to, to lead you. You need an encourager. Sometimes those can be the same people, but we need somebody in our life, and we need to be in somebody's life. And sometimes that can just be the two. But then you don't do that forever and ever. There comes a day where you go, you know what? We need to get other people and teach them and start spreading that out. And so... I hope today, in the message and the story of what happened to Saul and Laura's story today, that you'll come to a better understanding of what God wants from you, first salvation, and secondly, to help others.